This is Space Debris, written by Sala Megji, performed by Hamish Marison Clark. This is Foster to Earth. I repeat, Foster to Earth. Can you hear me? Does my radio work from so far away? Is my recording working at least? Yes, I think it is. I got untethered from the spaceship. I didn't even know that could happen. Boom! A big rock hurtled past and it cut right through the line connecting me to the ship. Could have hit me. I guess I'm lucky. Or unlucky? Floating in a spacesuit sure is a slow way to die, huh? But I get a glimpse of the universe. That's not so bad. Man, you spent millions on me to get me into a spacesuit and shoot me into space, and I just end up as debris. The view is worth millions, though. I'm hurtling so fast, you should see me. I bet I'm faster than light. I feel so light. There's more light in space than you'd think there'd be. I can see so many stars. Maybe the universe gave me a gift. My suit is still working. Its little computer is still alive. I wonder how long it'll stay on after my air runs out. I'm flying past a planet. I don't know which one. I can almost see the people on it. Hello down there. Can you hear me? Can you help me? Foster to exoplanet. Foster to exoplanet. I've got to get on one of your radio waves. Can you hear me? I'm flying untethered through space. I lost my people. I need your help. Can you understand me? Is there any way that you could ever understand me? I understand you. I think about you sometimes. I've met you before. I have a whole world in my head. Maybe not a whole world, but a world enough for one person. Foster's world. And I know it exists somewhere out there. If the universe is infinite, there is a me out there that is living the world I imagine every day in my head. Is your world below me? Is a version of me down there somewhere? My world is not a happy place. I'm miserable in it, really, but in that world, which is maybe your world, misery makes sense. Something bad happens. I feel bad in return. I don't know why I feel bad here. Well, I know why I feel bad now, but usually I don't know why I feel so fucking bad all the time. Sometimes the screaming fills the universe. What will happen if I fall into your atmosphere? When my brain burns up, where will my world go? I've never told anyone else about it. It only exists in the cells in my body. Will it disappear? Do you have the answer? Do you have the answer? You don't need to save me. I just need the answer. No one will know that I see the universe. 
universe. Please, someone must know that I have seen the universe and that it is beautiful and frightening and big. And there's another one inside me just as big and inside that and inside that. I think it meant something. I think it meant everything. But maybe it didn't. I cannot think of a single thing that I have done that was meaningful to anyone. I cannot think of a single thing that anyone has done that means anything to me, in the end. This mission feels silly. The fact that it's meaningless doesn't even matter. All this research and knowledge will disappear eventually. But humans, my humans, in my world, in the real world, we sent out probes to you. The recordings of our civilization will find new star systems in 40,000 years. Maybe I won't fall into your atmosphere. Maybe my body will drift forever. Maybe you'll find it in 40,000 years. Maybe my foster world will be preserved in my frozen brain. Will you keep it, please? I know it's not important. It's just detritus, space debris. But my world is special to me, and I don't want it to die. You'll at least hear this recording. That will be saved, for sure, right? Let me tell you about my world. In it, I live in the clouds, adrift in the universe. Welcome to The Chef's Monologue, a podcast where we, your hosts, Phil Kenner and me, Michael Wilder Frizzell, invite our favorite writers to cook up an original short monologue based on a recipe that we provide. Then we interview those iconic writers about their process, thoughts on theater, film, TV, etc., and deliver it directly into your hungry ears. We are so happy to have on the show today the incredibly talented Salwa Megji. Yay! Hello. Yay! <laughs> How's it going? Good. So we are so happy that you're here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Oh my God! We just heard a beautiful monologue. Space debris. Mazel tov. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Um, Heartbreaking. Gr- ground control to Major Foster. And <laughs> Major Foster, <laughs> and we had the wonderful Hamish Marison Clark doing the voiceover with his like CW team voice. <laughs> He's incredible. Um, what did you do before you came here today? I, so I got an embroidery machine a couple days ago. So <gasps> I've, been, I've been playing with it. So I made this sweater that you can't really see because I'm wearing overalls, but it says, I love Wellbutrin. Oh my, oh my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and, I, <laughs> and I also, <laughs> But I, I also used it to make you guys some presents. No. Are you so kidding? I got you a little gift. 
still, I am going to remake yours because I did mess yours up quite bad. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, um, but so, uh, listeners, there are real gifts being given <laughs> to us right now. Oh. Oh my God. My God. Oh my God. So, you, <laughs> this is incredible. So, this is right. so sweet. We're holding in our hands a beautiful black t-shirt that says Chef Mike on the front, gorgeously embroidered in pink, I should add. And on the back, is that, a, a, oh my God, it's a chef. <laughs> it's the chef with the chef's monologue. This is um, the oh. best guest that we've ever had on the show. You win. Yes, oh I my mean. God. You win. This is the sweetest thing. Oh my God. We're gonna include this on the Instagram. We're gonna put it on our Patreon. <laughs> Everyone's gonna see this. You're an icon for this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Holy fucking shit. I'm very grateful to be here. I wanted to, to do something nice and play with my machine. Of course. Yeah, of course. What does a um, embroidery machine, is it like a sewing machine? What is the? So it looks like a sewing machine. It is, but it's like, it has a tiny computer and you just input like what you wanted to print. Oh, that's cool. Mine is like 20 years old. Oh. So <laughs> it does very few things, uh -huh. but it does write words and make little silly animals. Yes. So. Oh is it is it like an internet dial up? Like when you put in the yeah, yeah, command? Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's talk about this monologue and also your oeuvre as a writer more generally. I'm curious to know two things. One, how is writing this monologue? We'll start with that one. Okay. Writing this monologue, tell me about it. I stayed up all <coughs> night to write it, which is starting. Is that how you normally write? Sometimes, that's a good question, sometimes. Not, not as often anymore that I am on ADHD medication, but still sometimes. <laughs> um, but it was it was interesting. It's very unlike, I think, what I usually write. Um, like, usually I write things that are a little sillier, and this was felt quite serious when I wrote it. Um, but it also felt, like, important and special to me, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, and I feel like it just has, like, a lot of things that I think about a lot in it, or, like, the ideas I'm kind of playing with. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Is this the part where I tell you my secret ingredient? Oh well, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're, you know what? I love that you're eager to share it. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's never really an order to these bits. <laughs> but let's talk about secret ingredient. Without further ado, here is Sola's secret ingredient. It's a short story by Ray Bradbury called Kaleidoscope, <gasps> um, and it is kind of the same thing that I wrote. Um, not enough that I copyright, that it's like a copyright issue, but um, it's about a man named Hollis who is adrift in space and he at, and he's about to die. Um, mm. But it's it's quite different in that there's a lot of people with him. Their like spaceship blew up and so mm. th it, he's like able to talk to a bunch of people while he's like about to die. Mm. And his primary concern is I have never done anything good mm. and I am mean and I am worthless and I wish I had done something good. Um, and then do you want the spoiler ending? Uh, um, a little boy sees him. He like falls into Earth's atmosphere and burns up. And a little boy sees him and thinks he's a shooting star and makes a wish. That's gorgeous. The name of the author again? Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. And the short story is called what? Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope. Okay. Amazing. That is a gorgeous secret ingredient. <laughs> Would you could you read us the first line of the story? Yes. Oh, I did. I also pulled a, a line from the story. The the screaming fills the universe is mm. a line from the story. Oh, beautiful. Um, but the first line is the first concussion cut the rocket up the side with a giant can opener. The men were thrown into space like a dozen wriggling silverfish. Oh, uh, 
Okay, Ray Bradbury. <laughs> when are we gonna get Ray on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, well, he, uh, he's, he's very dead. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I have Way a, to go. <laughs> yeah, I have a dual degree in English. Um, uh, I'm very well read, and so Ray Bradbury, obviously an important piece of media for you. I'm interested in what was a foundational text or piece of media for you when you were a young adult slash teen. When I was a young adult slash teen, um, I think this was and continues to be, and it's like part, partly in this monologue, which is like I feel like it's kind of embarrassing and I know you said like cringe is okay but this is cringe for like a really bad reason is it's it's Ender's Game Mm, um, who famously the author is extremely homophobic Mm -hmm. but I did in college write part of my thesis about how Ender is super gay so that's Mm. my redemption of that Mm -hmm. absolutely reclaiming that's how we rest media from homophobes is we're like oh no what you wrote is very gay (laughs) (laughs) you wrote something so goddamn gay um well, that's wonderful. Where do you see Ender's Game showing up in your writing more generally? Um, I that's a great question. I think a lot about I I think I write a lot about trauma and like um, childhood trauma and how like how it messes with with your like the way your brain functions and thinks. Mm. Um, so I think that's how it shows up. Cool. And and did that. Did that piece of media give you permission to do anything that you weren't doing previously? Or do you still use it to give yourself permission to do something? Part of this monologue is that Foster is talking about his foster world in which bad things happen to him, which is like maladaptive daydreaming, right? Mm. Um, and I that was something that I thought about a lot as a child um, and was mm. like a way of coping with the world. Let me make sure that this is connecting. Um, and into adulthood it feels like oh that was like a terrible thing that i did like imagine bad things happening to me and other people but like this book is about horrible things happening to this child um and it was really important to me and it was like something that really helped me Mm -hmm. so i think there is in these like horrible things that we think about and read and do there are like redemptive aspects of them if that makes sense redeeming maladaptive dreaming yes oh that's gorgeous <laughs> that is so textural i could just like wear that like a cape mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maladaptive dreaming it's so sometimes often the task ahead of us as writers is to be like oh i thought of something really terrible that i want to happen to no one and that i especially don't want to happen to myself so now i'm going to make a character go through it right. <laughs> now now i'm going to put it in a story and make my character go through what is my personal hell <laughs> will you give me a definition of maladaptive daydreaming what does that mean it's so it's considered it's like a facet of mental illness i guess mm. but um my therapist said it's not a bad thing um but it's when people create like these long-winded daydreams that mm. they like think about all the time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that they like, kind of can't get out of mm-hmm. um and it's like kind of consuming of their lives mm-hmm. um to like varying degrees and this was something that sarah grace and i have talked about this um and it was something that i did a lot when i was a child and like i think man- like many people do probably everyone does to some extent mm-hmm. we all daydream mm-hmm. um so that's kind of what it is mm-hmm. and those daydreams are not always pretty and sometimes mm-hmm. they're ugly and long sure. right yeah. sure sure <laughs> Not, not fascinating is the wrong word, but yeah, scary in a way as mm-hmm. well. Um, t- tell us about how this, from the all night binge writing, how, how has it evolved since in the version we just heard earlier? Um, I wrote 
uh, this, I wrote it all night, and then I went to sleep in the morning. Mm. And then I woke up in the afternoon, and I was like, it's going to be bad. It's going to be <laughs> bad. Like, I wrote it all night, and it felt, like, very personal, and it also felt very different than what I usually write. So I was like, it's bad, it's bad. And for three days, I walked around thinking, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. I now have to write something else. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> um, and then finally, I was like, Selma, you have to read this, please. And just, 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 all I need to know is if I need to rewrite it. Like, I don't need mm. to comment on it. I just need you to say, go rewrite this mm. and write something else. Um, and this, just throw this away. And she was like, no, Selma, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. And then I was like, okay, it's, I, I'll do it then. Because I, I, I think I just felt nervous about it. I felt like not confident in it. Mm -hmm. um, but. From there, she gave me some notes about like Foster's narcissism that I mm. thought was really interesting um, because to me, if I were in Foster's position, I would only be thinking about myself. What? Mm. Yeah, oh my God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but someone was like, he's so narcissistic. And I was like, okay, you're a nice person. I get it, you'd be thinking about other people, but I would not. Um, right, he's like floating through space about to die. <laughs> I'm not gonna be like, oh, what's someone else worried about right now? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I did like thinking of him as like deeply flawed. And mm -hmm. so I tried to like think about that. Um, and then you gave me notes that were very helpful. One of which was, what, what is a space mission? And in this short story that I took it from, it's never specified. So I decided I also didn't want to specify it. Mm -hmm. But I did want, I found that very helpful in that like, oh, we should be discussing that it's meaningless. It's all meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, and then you gave me notes about sound as well. Um, I think that that is something that, I mean, I see that a lot in um, war literature. There's this book of short stories called Redeployment. I think it's written by someone named Philip Clay or Kay. Um, here I am on record not knowing the name of this person. But um, that that really unbelievable existentialism courses through the whole thing. It's like, oh, I'm taking lives and also my life is constantly in danger of being taken. And for what? Mm -hmm. And for why? Mm -hmm. Why am I even here? Why did I want to come here in the first place? Why did somebody else want me to come here in the first place? There's like all these little assumptions that are made in the name of grand explorations, whether they're in real life and they're quite violent or they're fictional and they're in space. You know, you see that in, in famous space media as well, like Star Trek and Star Wars. And often to justify what's happening, they have to have a very specific plan. And that's why it's justified that they're going on it. Um, and so I really appreciated in your monologue how there was this moment of like, wait, why was I even here? Like, mm -hmm. I'm dead now in space. And for what? For why? It's the redeployment. It's by Phil Clay, K-L-A-Y. Okay, great. So I was my first guess was correct. There's there's also something that what you just said was really interesting to me, which is that um, I feel like you know we all come from a writing program that often like talks about you know you have to clarify the stakes of your story. What why why does the character why is the character in this situation? And I think less emphasis was put on like the character struggling with that maybe meaningless is what you're talking about. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I, in, in this beautiful monologue, it's like we, never, we don't quite understand why he's there. We don't get to hear it. But there's something gorgeous and exciting about like this character coming to terms with like, oh, God, like my circumstances are so banal or like there's no point. There's something so heartbreaking about that, I think, which is the, some of the power of this is like watching a person, when I imagine drifting in space, like being like, for what? Why is this how I go? And right. there's something so heartbreaking about that. Right. Yeah, I think I was thinking a lot about size is not the, quite the right word. I can't think of quite the right word. But like, there's like the universe. It's infinite. It's huge. 
And then there's Foster, and he's so small, and he's so meaningless, and he's like, please save my world. Like, mm. this world cannot die. It's so important to me. Mm. Um, and, I, yeah, just thinking about, like, how big things are and how big our internal lives are, too. And, like, eventually they, it will all be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, quite know where I'm going with this, but. I mean, yeah. I want to look at the line somewhere sort of like 75% of the way through. It says, uh, please, someone must know that I have seen the universe and that it is beautiful and frightening and big. And there's another one inside me just as big and inside that and inside that. I think it meant something. I think it meant everything. Not only is there such a beautiful rhythm to that line, it also like underscores this thing that I think all the best characters have inside them, which is that acknowledgement that they are their own universe, that we are a universe. And like, there's an emotional truth to that, yes, but also quite literally, our bodies are home to an unthinkable amount of like living organisms mm-hmm. that are unseeable, that mm-hmm. that are like necessary for us to live. Our stomach alone is like a whole ecosystem. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we are to the universe as a gut bacteria is to us. And so we do contain universes. Um, and so there's something so wonderful in that paradox that we are both infinitely tiny and also ourselves are massive and expansive. Yeah. Thank you, Pete. That was amazing. <laughs> oh my God, of course. Your monologue reminded yeah. me of that. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, uh, maybe a final point. We should talk about the one minute stand, but that, that it's me think, speaking in draft on a podcast, which is great. But like something about like the, you know, the fact that we, our lives are so meaningless arguably um, <laughs> that we don't get we don't we are not forced to confront that fact both sad I suppose or, or sort of dis- despairing or like also joyous that like nothing matters um, but we don't are not forced to confront that in fact most people try and live their lives fleeing from that fact in so many ways that it's that fiction and in, in this case sort of imagine imagination exercise of like person hurtling through space, which not none of us will ever, uh, maybe we'll experience in our lifetime, uh, hopefully not, Please but no. like, at least going to space. But I don't know, there's something that's sort of so exciting about that and, and sort of so lovely. Um, anyway, that was not it. I, for one, have no desire at any point to go into space. Yeah, well, Do you? you? Yeah, what's your space pro uh, con? <laughs> I think as, as a kid I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut. And then I grew up and I was like, I get motion sick and I'm so scared of everything. Of course I don't want to go to space. <laughs> I want to go to space so badly. <laughs> Do you really? Hundred uh, percent. That's I like. I feel like oh, they no. talk about like you go, you get up past a certain point in the atmosphere, and you sort of have like a. It's not quite a religious experience, but like you like interview astronauts are interviewed all the time, and they talk about this like almost like shift in their consciousness when they can like maybe confront what you're just talking about the fact that they they are so tiny on such a scale that like mm-hmm. you can talk about the universe being big, you can kind of imagine your you know world, but then once you like literally see the globe in front of you, you're like oh it, it, like we are all on this rock hurtling through space at millions of miles an hour. Like there's sort of being confronted with this literally sitting in front of you, I think would be a, a amazing. Re- I'm not religious, but I think I, that would help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's also fun to think about, I mean, this is just, we're getting, we, we must do the one minute stand, yeah. but um, the, the, a fact that shook my world when I was a kid was that like the earth is spinning on its axis so fast mm so quickly that if it were to just stop, like cartoon stop, we would all go flying. <laughs> like the inertia would be so intense that we would all, like every building would just get ripped from its oh roots and go hurtling. And I'm like, I don't feel like we're moving that fast. No. How can, and I'm like, what, like six or seven when my dad tells me this with a mm-hmm. smile on his face and it's like, <laughs> oh, 
I don't experience that movement. I don't experience the earth spinning on its axis so fast, so it can't be true. Like my embodied <laughs> experience is completely in contrast to that. If I stand here on the grass, nothing is moving. So you're wrong, dad. Like there's no <laughs> way that that's true. Um, and I think that there's this sort of, Mike, what you're describing is this like spatial unknowability. You get in the space and you're like, oh, I can't deny it any longer. I'm very mm. tiny. Mm-hmm. I'm very small. Anyway. But that, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, maybe we'll never go into space, but also that like art in some ways allows us to access that same thing, right? Like it's, it's easier for me. I would never have imagined what it would be like to hurt, be hurtling through space and feel small and meaningless until space debris, until they want Molly, we all just hurt. So I think there's something so exciting about the ability of art to kind of do, get almost uh, create or complete the same experience that maybe astronauts have. I think yeah. that's a testament to you as a writer, but and art in general, I think is really exciting. Thank you, Mike. Um, so I'm cu- okay. One more thing before the moment. Is <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to know, like, in your own moments of existential either dread or ecstasy, <laughs> like, what about your existential crisis? <laughs> no, no, no. The opposite. The opposite. What grounds you? Like, what in your world reminds you of yourself and your body and your space? Uh, that's a great question. I think that I feel important. <laughs> if yes. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And everything feels important to me, which I think is also just like. I feel like everything is important in life, and so which is maybe I'm a little too intense, but um, I think that the fact that it feels important is enough for it to be important. It's a, like I don't mean anything on a cosmic scale, but I am alive, and like mm-hmm. it's okay that it is meaningful to me that I am alive. Yes, hell yeah, and that meaning making is like one of the only things we have that's forever. Exactly, that's yes. a good way to put it. Um, so your one minute stand obviously is meaning <laughs> <laughs> and importance. But no, this is the section where you get to spend a untimed minute, we won't stop you, um, to shout out someone in the world of film, TV, alive, dead, famous, not yet famous, who you think is just incredible. Um, so without further ado, here is Sola's one minute stand. So my one minute stand is Fuad Dakwar. He's a composer. Um, who is also composing a musical, I wrote, so mm. very exciting. Um, but he has written a few musicals. Um, he is Palestinian. He wrote um, a musical about the pa- Palestinian occupation that's amazing that I think will be released on Spotify soon. Um, and he also wrote one about eugenics that's called In Vitro that is also that is on Spotify Ooh. and is very good. Um, and he is also just like, nice and friendly and easy to work with and fun so everyone should hire him and that is my stand oh my god amazing a true one minute stand (laughs) that's incredible i think you might be the first person who's gotten it under a minute as well (laughs) yeah absolutely a record now we have to give you like money yeah yeah yeah, well like hit the mark um say his name one more time fuad dakbar so it's f-o-u-a-d and then his last name is d-a-k-w-a-r Okay, amazing. And his musical on Spotify now is in vitro. Mm -hmm. And do you know what the Palestinian musical is called? Return. Return. Okay, amazing. So keep your eyes peeled for Return coming to Spotify very soon. I think so. Okay. I should have double-checked that before Amazing. I did this, but... It's okay. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> and now I'm going to make you say the name of your musical, if you're comfortable. Yes, What's the name yes, you're writing yes. with him? Uh, it's called U-Haul Mesbians. It's nice. about two Muslim lesbians who throw a surprise wedding. <gasps> oh, my God. I'm so oh, my God. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a reading of that happening this summer. Yes, there is. At the Tank. Yes, on City. August 15th. 
August 15, produced by the one Calendana. Yes. A former chef. A former uh, actually, chef. Actually, the first, uh, the, the second. The third. The, <laughs> the fourth. <laughs> We're saying numbers now. <laughs> I think Calend's the third episode. Uh-huh. Readers, a little bit of backstage tea is that we are recording this in July. You're hearing this in the fall, but we are recording this in July. So the readings have already happened. Calend's episode was released in the summer. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> yes. This summer at the Tank, Callan, at the Tank in New York, Callan produced a series of readings, and she'll likely do it again. <laughs> um, so you haul mespians. Fantastic. Saul, thank you. You're a rock star. Thank You're you. absolutely rock star. This was a lovely interview, and like, Space Debris was gorgeous, and you win because you gave us t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, you gave us t-shirts. Your stand was actually a one-minute yeah, stand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, you, you can host the podcast now anytime you want. <laughs> yeah. You're like, that's it. Yeah, you actually, we're done. Um, yeah, this is the last episode. This is, this is our last um, time as host. Solo will be taking over from here. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a joy being your host. We'll see you never. <laughs>